And we're live. And we're live. Good morning. Hi, Kevin. How you doing? You look very cozy. Love your jacket. I'm extremely cozy. I love this jacket. This is like, I feel like I'm, you know, a teddy bear. Yeah. Yeah. What do you call that? What do you call that material? It's like a fleecy? I guess. I don't know. It's really like teddy bear material. <laughs> it's a teddy bear. <laughs> Unfortunately, millions of teddy bears are killed. Uh each year for those jackets no just kidding uh no teddy bears were harmed in the making of this layout but yeah it's great i'll try to find a link that i can put in the show notes if people want to want to get it it's extremely comfortable if you live in a location where you have real winters i highly recommend it (laughs) (laughs) it's a weird thing to flex about (laughs) we have real winters you know gotta brag about some things (laughs) okay well do you wanna (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, it looks very comfy. I just want to give you a hug. Yeah. A lot of people do that. Uh, yes, weather, weather is, is real. Let's see. I'm looking at the notes today. What kind of stuff we can talk about? I would like to start by just following up on your conversation last episode. We are talking about getting a camera Yeah. for your upcoming trip. You even mentioned like renting a camera, perhaps. You mentioned maybe I could keep my camera and maybe buy a lens or something. Where are we there? Uh, any any updates? So I did none of these things, <laughs> basically. Um, but I did buy something. Mm. So I got a new camera after extensive, extensive research. And uh, me really embarrassing my partner by spending like long amounts of time in camera stores. <laughs> Just been like, can I try this one? Can I try this one? I ultimately settled on a camera that... Just, you know, was the camera that I, I felt like was the, the best camera for me, which is probably not the best camera overall, mm-hmm. but is just felt more like something, you know, optimized more for the things that I enjoyed. So the camera I got was the Fuji X-T5. It's actually like the latest release from Fuji came out maybe like two or three weeks ago. Oh, wow. And uh, so it's pretty recent. It's sort of the best of the of the Fuji uh, system. It's like the their newest entry. And there's a couple of reasons why I chose this one over the Sony. First, it's a bit smaller and lighter, which is something that I really cared about. Mm-hmm. It is not full frame. Interesting. <laughs> uh, which is kind of unfortunate. Like, I, I kind of wanted an, a full frame. The problem is full-frame cameras all have giant lenses. (laughs) And so while this is APS-C, so it's already better than my Micro Four Thirds one, but the lenses are a bit more reasonable, In I found, in size and weight. I found just the way the camera is constructed and the way that it's designed, there's a heavier focus on real physical dials for things, uh, which really appealed to me. And then a lot of their philosophy and like how the cameras render the colors just look better to me. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a, it, it obviously probably doesn't compare at all to a Leica, but it's sort of that like hard to explain or compare kind of thing of just like, it just, the images just look amazing. Yeah. <laughs> right as they come out of the camera. They're very like film like somehow. I don't know why. But Fuji pictures look very, like there's this old school vibe to it. Yeah, exactly. And there's just, I mean, they have these sort of film presets in the camera. Mm. So it's essentially like a filter that's automatically applied to your pictures. 
And so that aspect was kind of compelling to me of just a camera who can sort of render things the way you want right out of the camera. It still supported a lot of you know, the, the features that I wanted with like better video recording and like, it's like a 40 megapixel sensor. And nice. also the lens that I got for it is kind of interesting. Like I got a fairly old lens. It's a 50 millimeter equivalent. So it's a 35 uh, APS-C F1.4, which is like so good. And again, there it's like interesting. There's two versions of this one. There's the older version, which I got. Uh, and there's a newer version, which is like bigger and, and bulkier and slightly better, technically speaking. But I ended up choosing the sort of smaller and lighter option that to me didn't make that big of a difference over the other one okay. um, to try to keep the size down. So it's like this whole thing was an exercise in finding the right compromise <laughs> to accept mm-hmm. of like, okay, do I get the bigger body? Cause I could have gotten a smaller, uh, Fuji body. And so save a little bit of weight there and then get a bigger lens or get the slightly bigger body or get and try and get a smaller <laughs> lens and like finding the right. Okay. I can see now why you spend so much time in that camera store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like so, sort of finding the right balance and being like, okay, like, can I tell the difference? Like, what are the things that I actually care about that I can see uh, as a difference? Like, I could tell the difference between those two lenses. I just didn't care enough about the differences to warrant the sort of size difference. But obviously, like, this is such a personal decision. Like, I think everyone would probably make different trade-offs on these things. I'm incredibly happy with the result. Like, I've been shooting a little bit with it. Um, I mostly got it ahead of my trip. Obviously, like I'll be gone for a month, so mm. I expect that I'll be taking a lot of pictures for that. Am I going to be carrying this camera around me all the time, like as I go around during my normal day to day work? No, probably not. You know, like <laughs> it's really like I think it's more optimized for if I'm going on a trip, if I'm doing some more explicit, like you know, shooting in like events or something where I know like this is the main activity that I'm doing. Um, so I'm still going to continue using my phone for a lot of photography. Uh, but just like using it has been really fun and sort of like getting a bit more into photography again has been has been really nice. So yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed it so far. I highly recommend it. And uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to one of the listener who wrote in a super nice, super thoughtful email to us. Oh my God, yes. At layoutpodcast at gmail.com, which is our email for our show. If you ever want to like send us emails and recommendations. So listener Matt's, uh, he sent out a recommendation, also recommended Fuji for me after listening to the show and um, ended up giving me a lot of really great advice. So thank you, Matt's, for the email. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'm honestly, I'm kind of happy to have settled this case because I'm not going to lie. It was like a background process running in my brain for the past, <laughs> yep. you know, many weeks that I was just constantly thinking about cameras and like <sighs> debating different options and going back and forth. Um, so I know the feeling those background process can really add up. Oh, yeah. It makes a difference in your day to day for sure. I have watched like not gonna lie hundreds of youtube videos like about everything <laughs> like every comparison you can possibly imagine i would go to the store and i'd be like listen i know 
everything, <laughs> every detail about any of these cameras. Um, but the thing that you can't get from a YouTube video is how does it feel in your hand? Yeah, um, and so that's what I needed to do, and so. And I feel like even to certain length, like the pictures, I think I'm I'm rarely. Like satisfied with the like demo pictures that a lot of reviews use. Yeah. I'm like okay, but I don't know. Maybe it's always like a sunny California thing, wherever they live. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, but that's not the pictures I'm gonna take. So even then, I feel like yeah, you kind of need to use it or know someone who uses it. That's how I effectively based my purchase decision for a camera. Like, I like all the pictures taken from these accounts, and then I realized. They're like, I don't know, 60% of them uses a like, and like, okay, well, then I guess that's the camera I want. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you're totally right that a lot of these things often depend on what's their editing style. Yeah. Oh, that's true. What kinds of things are they shooting? Like, are you going to be shooting the same things? Like, it's hard to tell. Like, I, I mean, if you look at a lot of results from Sony cameras, I mean, the, the results look beautiful. Like, they look great. Yeah. But the that's not what you get out of the camera, <laughs> you know. It's like a lot of of effort to get there. Also, not saying that it's wrong. Like my previous camera also didn't, you know, uh, required me to edit pictures, and that is also fun. Like if that's what you want, it's really just about optimizing. What are the things that you want? I made a joke. I think last time I don't know if I made it on the show or just like on Twitter, but it was funny to see the differences in the different camera brands and the types of reviews. And like you see, the Fuji reviews are much more about the sort of story aspect. Like this is how this camera will make you feel. Right. Uh, and Sony was very much about like these are the spec. Like this is the best camera on paper. Yeah. Um, I can think of it maybe. Uh, other computer companies that might be similar in that way. <laughs> a similar comparison but it's not i mean it's the users right right it attracts a certain kind of audience because the actual videos from both of these companies both horrible <laughs> both horrible like just this is just like not a good way to sell cameras in my opinion maybe i haven't watched all of them but just like you can't really see. There's no like. I mean, I guess they they do do some keynotes for announcements of things, but like, there's no like mm. clear explanation from them on like this updated camera is better and how they've like made all the decisions and like it just. I don't know. I feel like it. They could probably learn a lot from tech companies in that regard, which I guess they are tech companies to a certain extent. But mm, now they are. Yeah, it's a little different. But yeah, the other thing is. Boy, UI department is Oof. remains a challenge <laughs> for camera companies. It's camera companies and car companies. Like both yes. of them, they can go play somewhere else, like together, because they <laughs> they they will have this shared appreciation for awful non-responsive UIs. <laughs> yeah, it's like giving you the same energy, really. Yeah, seriously. It's like where are they getting these designers? Actually, I like don't even understand like you know i feel like no designers today have that sort of mindset at least from the camera i think on the car industry it's like it right now i feel like it's very dribble eyes type design with like neuromorphic stuff and like, they're, they're trying wild things on the camera side it's very utilitarian and like doesn't really take advantage of hey you have like an the entirety of an lcd panel like you can do like interesting ui things you can do have like 
more modern UI treatments. They're like, nope, <laughs> we're just going to do all sorts of weird things. It sounds like they're just not willing to change in that department because, like, that's, I don't know, it feels like they are, it's a very mature industry and, like, you do these things because that's how you do these things. There's not a, a lot of, like, willingness to innovate, really. I don't know about their customers because I'm not really into that world, but I, I have to wonder, like, as a designer, why would I work at a camera company hmm. or, or a car? And it's like, well, Maybe because you love the industry and you have this desire to like improve it, but I would assume that like even if you are one of those rare people, then you join you you find yourself in a system that doesn't really want any innovation <laughs> or like you know any any radical changes. So I think it's just just the way it is. Yeah, so. I mean, I think the cars have are turning a corner. Like I think now they're sort of with Tesla, like they've sort of realized okay this is a thing that we need to compete on i don't think they know how to do it well like the the people who manage i think these things have very poor understanding of what actually makes great experiences uh probably including tesla for what it's worth uh-huh. uh not that i have a tesla so i like can't comment into the details but like that's from what i've been hearing from people <sighs> They, so I don't think they understand what makes great interfaces or what makes great experiences, but I think they at least know now that it's a thing they need to compete on. Mm. It's sort of kind of like the streaming services like, where they're kind of like, okay, like Netflix's app is probably the best of them all. Still not great, I would say. Probably the best. And they're all like, okay, we need an app. Like we need our app. <laughs> for our stuff and they're completely misguided in how to actually create a good app (laughs) so i think that that's kind of where we're at hopefully i mean it'll be interesting to see if apple sort of ends up rescuing a lot of these car companies and that's the thing that ends up getting them some leverage um but i think we've talked like in the episode where they introduced a new version of carplay where it's kind of still odd right like for cars to, I don't know, like, because it's like, what if you don't have an iPhone? Does it still work if you have an Android device? Like, the car still has to work <laughs> without disintegration somehow. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, they can't go all into this thing. And so you're immediately back into this sort of weird hybrid situation. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's pretty messy. It's all like, how core to the product is software? Because in tech companies, like, it's everything. Even like hardware companies in a lot of ways is like the same as like, I don't know, like a computer, a laptop. Like the software is like as important as hardware. So software is core. Cameras, like how important is the software? I mean, it's important. And, and I would say more and more, especially like with touch screens and all, but the core of what makes a camera is not really the software. At least not yet. Mm-hmm. At least not to a lot of, you know, just look at any review. Like, Maybe they'll mention soft the UI, but it's <laughs> a little footnote. It's all about the lens, all about the sensors, all about like the how does it feel in the hand, all about the pictures. And with cars, I think now it's changing. To your point, I think the screens that the UI they're getting bigger and bigger inside the the cockpit, <laughs> but it's still not the core, right? As much as Apple wants to tell you with their the one slide, what was it like? Ninety percent of new car buyers would consider buying if it has CarPlay or something like that, you know? Like, okay. Yeah. It's also, I mean, what was interesting, I heard someone talk about that. There's actually, 
not that big of a percentage of the population who's actually buying new cars. Hmm. So it's like already just applying that qualifier of buying a new car. <laughs> yeah. It's like really limits the, the pool of people. We asked the four people who bought a car this morning and <laughs> 90% of them. So anyways, I think that stat is very yeah. misguided in many ways, but I do think it's like a key part of the experience. I mean, sure. for me, like that would probably make more of a difference than many of the other things that are inside of the car. Like that's what I interact with all the time. But here's the issue. I think it's a way bigger deal and way more important to the experience of using your car than I think most people would say. Like, if I were to ask my parents, like, the the UI, the software in your car, like, how important is that for you? They're like, ah, I don't care. <laughs> but then these are the same people who will, like, complain that they can't pair the phone or, like, the music doesn't really play or something. Like, they'll, yeah. they'll complain it, but they still can't see. They're like, do you see that this is a massive... Like, it's one of the things we interact with the most, right? It's that in your seat, probably. <laughs> if your seat was, like, very uncomfortable, I think you would complain. And, you know, a proper steering wheel. <laughs> Speaking to all the, the Tesla owners. Emphasis on the wheel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I would say, overall, maybe more empathetic to the camera UI designers, I guess. Because it's just like you're just walking through the menus. It's just unbelievable how many things are just options. Like there's just so many settings mm-hmm. where I think the the mentality of the market there is extreme customization. It's like you can reprogram and remap literally all of these buttons to do all kinds of different things. There's swipes. There's like you can tap different buttons for different things. There's things on the front, on the back, on the sides. Like it's just all over. And so it must make things very difficult where like how do all these things collide together? There's like the camera can be in different modes and pictures and and mode and uh, video mode. Like there's all kinds of just complexity into this system that I think must make things more difficult. Now, that doesn't mean they couldn't offer all the same options, which is better UI. <laughs> I think that's still a thing that they could do. I think that it's they also have this thing of like not can't really embrace the touch screen. Yeah. I think if you were to offer a camera with all the controls, all the settings are only accessible via the touch screen, a lot of users would complain. Like that's not a thing. I mean you just mentioned that your the the Fuji just got a lot of emphasis on analog controls in the body. So there's that, but then, I don't know, but like in my Leica, some of those buttons are like, not just double duty, like triple duty. Like, yeah. oh yeah, the one function key, you just press once to do this, you, you hold to do that, you just, there's so much. Every button has like three or four hidden capabilities around it. Um, because, yeah, because you only have like, I don't know, three knobs and four buttons or something. And there's so much cameras all doing so much these days, so many settings and so much stuff. Anyway, I feel like we've been talking about this for a while. Um but yeah, glad glad to to know that you quit that you've resolved that background process. <laughs> yes. Um, can't wait now to see all the pictures. And now the new background process is what accessories do I need? <laughs> <laughs> oh, three years in, I still am not satisfied with a good camera strap. Mm. I've tried them. Like I tried wrist straps. I've tried the like peak design little with a little loop system, so like yep. to quickly change between a wrist strap and a an actual strap strap. What do you call it? Like a what do you call it? Camera strap, whatever. A strap strap, not a wrist one. It goes in your in your shoulder shoulder strap. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried them all. I tried the like I don't like wrist straps 
but I do like to strap it on my wrist, if that makes sense. Okay. Like if I'm actively taking pictures, I don't want it to have it on my shoulder. Mm. So I just usually like loop a shoulder strap on my wrist, if that makes sense. I see. Yeah. But the Peak Design one for that is just too big. It's just too unwieldy. Mm. So I went back to just using the one shoulder strap that came uh, with my Leica, like in the box. Actually, it's not even a shoulder strap because it's so short. It's more like a, just a, a neck strap. Oh, I that's see. That's another it's another word. But then that's not good for looping around your wrist. Anyway, I just haven't found one that I'm like, ooh, this is nice. I'm going to leave this on. Yeah. And also just removing strap, just the worst experience. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm pretty interested in the peak design like system. But one of the things that I discovered is you don't have to get the strap from peak design. <laughs> There's lots of different straps that work with those little like loop things. Oh. But that are not just the ones that are made by peak design. Um, Interesting. So I'm, yeah, I'm interested by the system. I am unsure that the, the peak design one is the one that I want. So yeah, going to do more research and keep you all updated if I find something. All right. Please do. I've been looking at the Leica's they have this very thick like rope like strap you know mm. that looks comfy i have to try it we are sponsored once again by fable let me start by asking you a couple questions have you ever watched videos with no sound and captions on have you ever dictated a f- text while driving have you adjusted the font size on your phone or turned on dark mode have you ever used an electric toothbrush Well, these are all products that were designed for people with disabilities first. When you design for the people at the margins, the people who have complex requirements, you design product in a way that makes it more adaptable, customizable, and personal. You make it usable. Fable is helping product teams build the most usable products. Through Fable, product teams can research and test the websites and apps that they are building with real people with disabilities. They get to run online tests, on demand, and get the insights that help them build more usable products that everyone benefits from. Product and design teams have the power to make the world more inclusive, and Fable helps them make it happen. You can find out how accessible your website or your product is by visiting makeitfable.com slash layout. Our thanks to Fable for sponsoring this week's episode of Layout. And once again, check them out at makeitfable.com slash layout. Anyway. Do you want to talk about the playdate? Yeah. So I guess this episode is about my purchases. Uh, so I got a playdate. I pre-ordered it forever ago. Oh, look at that. Um, cute. <laughs> it's super cute. It's tiny. Uh, the hardware design of it is just amazing. Just like so cool. It's like a well-engineered object, like just the weight of it. Okay. Should I just tell listeners what the Playdate is? Maybe it's not obvious. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> Playdate is this new-ish gaming console made by our friends at Panic, the classic like Mac software shop, <laughs> if you will. Uh, and they made this new uh, console that we talked about, and they're still shipping it very slowly because they're, you know, keeping up with demand or whatever. I'm still waiting for mine. I think I'm on batch four, and I think batch three just came out. Anyway, it's set for early next year. But yeah, so we got yours. It's it's adorable. It's amazing. The unboxing experience was great. Just so playful and very sort of panic. <laughs> in the the style of it all i open it the onboarding sequence 
is pretty incredible. (laughs) You can talk about it, but don't spoil it too much. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it, many of the details. There is one thing that I want to talk about. Like, the crank is super fun. (laughs) And one of the things that is generally a really, I would say, bad experience, which is setting the (laughs) Wi-Fi, ended up actually being quite a nice experience. The way they have it... Did you use a crank? You can use the crank for it. Okay. So it's essentially they have this... Um, um, you know in like old iOS where you had the sort of like spinning wheel... Yeah. To like pick a date or something? Right. So it's sort of a, a spinny wheel with three columns. So one is numbers... So top to bottom, like one, two, three, four, five. Okay. The second one is uppercase letters. And the third, and I might get the order wrong, but and then the third one is lowercase letters. Okay. So you would just select a column and then crank the wheel and then make a selection? You crank the wheel, yeah. But the uppercase and lowercase scroll at the same time together, essentially. Ah, that's clever. And so you can easily move between like an uppercase and a lowercase letter. And it's a pretty linear kind of process. Obviously, I mean, it's like, you know, it's setting a, a Wi-Fi password is maybe not the most exciting thing. Right. But just the way they treated the UI, I thought was very clever and just ended up working really well. And that's one of the strange things about this device is that it feels so retro, right? With the like sort of pixelated screen and the non-lit up screen and everything. But this this thing connects to Wi-Fi. <laughs> like this thing's a computer. It installed updates. Yeah, <laughs> you know when I connected it. Like there's like a step where you have to like register it with their website and stuff. And like it's a full fledged computer. It actually connects to the internet way better than my actual camera. <laughs> you know, it's like that's what cameras need a crank. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. The other thing that's interesting is it also has some modern features like an always on screen that shows the time it's like because the the way the, the the screen is it's essentially i mean i don't think it's a like the same technology as a kindle necessarily but it's sort of similar in nature where it just doesn't take that much energy the e-ink thing right yeah it's kind of e-ink ish and so it doesn't take that much energy to keep the screen on it's more about updating the screen um so yeah i just have it, this on my desk and it just shows the time which is nice <laughs> nice the one major criticism I would have of it is I think the initial run experience of it is a bit anticlimactic in a sense because you get this and it only has two games. Yeah. And I think the selection of games that you get initially is... I would say fine. Okay. (laughs) So you get one sort of surf game that just took me a really long time. Maybe I'm just not the best gamer, but it took me a while (laughs) to just figure out and just didn't end up being very fun. Like it's kind of like you run through many times like you play for i don't know five seconds and then you die and then you start over and then you play for 10 seconds and then you die and then you start over and it's just like i didn't find that to be particularly rewarding the second game casual birder i think was much better and so i've played that a lot more and so that's been interesting and then that's kind of it (laughs) (laughs) then you have to wait you know until the next week until you get new games so now i have two new games that are available haven't played them so i think i kind of like the idea of new games being released you know progressively versus getting like a Mm -hmm. giant catalog all at once that's hard to explore but i kind of feel like i don't know maybe i would have selected 
different games maybe i would have included more games initially like maybe given them like interesting three or four just because you're like i've got this new device like this is the sort of like peak sort of excitement maybe around this thing Mm -hmm. and it just feels like oh yeah like i can't there's not that much that you can do with it initially and you're just kind of like waiting (laughs) for new things to become available for it interesting yeah fair enough i can see that if they gave you way too many games or like just get the choice paralysis and and also get bored two sounds right if it's just a week but yeah i can tell if those two are not super appealing to you it might just be disappointed yeah exactly like if you only have two you've got to have two runaway success (laughs) successes and i think they've got maybe one success the other one's like eh. but so far i'm like i'm enjoying this little device i'm not an intense gamer but i was mostly here for the experience and just supporting panic on this and it's great i'm very happy with it i think it's clever it's cool and the crank is awesome uh just looks great on my desk i'm very jealous i'll keep waiting for mine yeah hopefully you'll get yours soon uh i know last episode that i did mention that i would love to talk to you about the pricing strategy for the new hand mirror update mm-hmm. we don't have a lot of time i feel like this is going to be a bigger topic so let's push it to next episode uh and maybe the app is out by then i don't know um so i'm working on it there's a test flight up if uh, people listening to this would like to get on the test flight uh maybe i don't know dm me on twitter or mastodon or whatever and i'll send you a or you know what no we'll just put the test flight link in the show notes so nice there it is look for the show notes there's test flight there if you want to try it and then i'll talk about like all the ins and outs and decision making behind some of that stuff on the next episode and again it would be great if the app would be out by then but unlikely but possible so yeah sweet awesome i look forward to it and it's just been great to see the evolution of the app on your twitter and i guess now you're you're posting it to 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 mastodon as well so yeah it's been so long this is taking me way longer than i thought it would (laughs) yeah this week's episode of layout is once again sponsored by hypermatic uh what's hypermatic it's a collection of premium figma plugins Right, and you might ask because I, I did ask. Okay, <laughs> what's a premium plugin? You know, uh, just check them out. Hypermatic. It it blew my mind and, and still does. Every time I need to, to tell you all about them, I want to go find different plugins because they have a large collection of them. And every time, I am so so impressed. I've always seen Figma plugins as like little like utilities like little small windows that i could provide can do like a one task thing this is not it (laughs) i don't know if they're coining the the term premium plugins but damn they 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 can take it so i've already told you about a bunch of them but uh i think every week we can tell you more because there's really a lot to to choose from so today i'm going to tell you about two more um one of them is uh called bannerfy and what this does is you can you can design in Figma like banners, like ad banners to go on the web, right? And then if you can export these banners as like HTML proper banners, <laughs> and also you can export them as like a GIF if you want. And you're like, all right, so it's like a plugin, a one-click export. No, it's a whole app that runs in it in like a little plugin window. And not a little, you know what I mean. So you can design your 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 banners and then you run this plugin and then you can fully customize and design like animations and you know fade ins fade out like zooms and pans and again it can export all of this as an html ready um banner ad this that's incredible (laughs) i'm 
blown away by this. Uh, and this is not like, oh yeah, install this plugin. Uh, it's just like a little dinky little plugin. Nope, may I remind you, premium plugins. This stuff is like, they have a waitlist for uh, Sketch and Adobe XD support. Uh, it has full-on docs. It's it's a proper product. It's incredible. Um, and another one, speaking of Sketch and Adobe XD, another plugin, uh, they call it Convertify. And I had never seen this being done. <laughs> Uh, you can, from Figma, you can export your whole Figma file to Sketch, to like a Sketch file format, or to Adobe XD, or to Adobe After Effects, or export it to an EPS file format. And it keeps all the layers, it keeps, I don't know how, but like it can also keep the like prototype links and styles between stuff. It's incredible. So if you ever felt the need, I don't know, maybe recently you were like, Maybe I would like to give Sketch another try or something. And you, maybe it's hard for you to move over because you have all of your component library and all of your work in Figma. Maybe try this out. You know, you can export all the things, all, all of your files to different design tools. This is amazing. I'm blown away. So go, go, go check them out, please. Their website is also cool. Like each product has its own like anime style character. It's, it's so, it's so different and cool. Go check them out. It's hypermatic.com. Uh, and there's a little like reference like layout uh, URL if you want to be a pal and like so you can click on the the link in the your podcast app or your the show notes or whatever. But uh, but regardless, just go to hypermatic.com. That's h i p e r m a t i c dot com. Um, and our thanks to Hypermatic for once again sponsoring uh, layout. Cool. All right, let's do recommendations then. Call it a show. Uh, do you want to go first? Great. Yeah, I can go with mine. Mine is going to be pretty short. So my re- recommendation is this website called Camera Size. Okay. <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever been to this website. It's, it seems very old. <laughs> and It looks like it's from 2004. A bit clunky at times, but it's basically the only website that I've been able to see where it has a repository of every camera (laughs) released recently and you can add them side by side and actually compare to scale the size of different cameras and you can also pair them with lenses then you can compare the weight of it all and you can like sort them like honestly for the past many weeks i've just had this open as a tab with tons of different cameras <laughs> side by side, just evaluating like, hmm, okay. Um, so if you're interested in, in getting a camera and then two, you care at all about size, I would say that's such a useful tool for you to be able to visualize the the sizing of the different cameras that you're considering. So really great resource. Is it the prettiest interface absolutely not but uh, it totally gets the job done well which lens did you get i got the uh, 35 millimeter 1.4 i'm comparing our cameras <laughs> yeah. cool i think overall I, my camera is still heavier than yours cool it's but. a very nostalgic website somehow <laughs> yeah. love these all right I'll, i'm going to recommend two things today one is a blog post uh, titled a historical view on the metropolitan apple watch face mm. it's a really cool article uh, by uh, what's her name Aaron mm-hmm. I've been following their blog for a long time it's so good uh, but this uh, article in, in particular is so nice there's just goes through the history of like a bunch of classic watch faces that Apple did uh, not copy but like did get inspired by for this particular watch face and it's so fun to see hey just like 
you just get a little history lesson about classic watch faces. But then also so interesting to see how Apple somehow managed to get like little parts from each to make its own original face. It's really cool. Also, there's like some cool graphics of uh, the dynamic. So this particular watch face, if you do turn the, the crown, you can dynamically change the type setting, make it like condensed or compact and just thinner or whatever. So it's cool. It's a cool uh, blog post. Yeah. And can we just talk about the inline videos in this article? I think it's just like really awesome to see them and just even the heading. I don't know if this is something that he took from an Apple website, but that actually don't even really know how you create this unless you get it from Apple's website. Yeah. Because you can't screen record an Apple Watch. No. Can't. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if it's like a the render. And then you kind of have to like, yeah, map it on to the body of the watch. Which that, it presumably, is definitely coming from uh, the Apple website. That is a good observation. Yeah. I'm pretty curious about how, how this came about. No idea what's happening here. But yeah, it's great. Uh, my other recommendation is a video game, God of War Ragnarok. It's probably the biggest game right now uh, out there. And uh, I've been playing it consistently, like a couple hours a day, maybe, for weeks now. It's been a while since I've managed to invest in a video game uh, that reliably or consistently and it, it's been really nice. As soon like as uh, I played the original one, not the original, you know, the the previous one. And as soon as this one starts, I was actually a bit underwhelmed mm. by like how much of the same it was. Like it just felt like I just continued playing the same game that I left off <laughs> in the previous one. But I guess that's a good thing because like that's always what I wanted, just more of that. But then it just keeps building up and keeps it's it, it retain all the good things about the first one while like building on top of it and i've been enjoying it a lot i i haven't beaten it yet i think i might be close but um it's a good video game there it is <laughs> recommended boom nice all right um that's it for this episode i'll talk to you on the next one uh, in the meantime you can check our show notes i guess uh on our website that's layout.fm you can still follow us on twitter at layout.fm kevin is at vernal kick i'm at rafahari or you can follow either of us on mastodon uh, we are at Rafa and at Kevin at Mastodon.design. I've been using that a lot more. It's fun. It's so nostalgic. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I'm hanging out there. And uh, our huge thanks to both our sponsors today, uh, Hypermatic and Fable. And I'll talk to you in the next one. All right. Goodbye. Bye. How incredible is the White Lotus? So good. Dude, that intro song, the theme song, oh, it slaps every time. I'm just like dancing, just feeling it. Have you seen all the TikToks? Oh, no. Yeah, there's a lot of... I haven't been on TikTok in months. There's a lot of TikToks about it. Also, the theories, my goodness, it's like, it's getting to like Westworld level out there uh, of theories whoa what theory i i'm i'm oblivious to any theory any mm. anything really oh well but do you want to know it's the question oh. <laughs> would you prefer not to know if you could i don't know i think i am on the side of with this so i know <laughs> the theories and i think if there are theories i'm fine with it because who knows the theories can totally be wrong and there are just clues that i could have gotten myself but i find that it actually heightens my enjoyment of it because these things would totally have flown by me <laughs> completely <laughs> and i would not have noticed and they're probably flying by me yeah yeah 
I, I was commenting this with devs the other day that like this show, even though it starts just like season one, it starts with like <gasps> a murder. And then I guess you're supposed to like question throughout the entire season because like you're only going to know at the end. Like that's the thing. It starts with like someone died and then at the end you find out either who died and who killed the person, I guess. Uh, so it's kind of like a murder mystery, the show. <laughs> but it's only a murder mystery like on the first opening scene and I guess the last episode. Because yeah. at no point watching this season, like I'm not questioning or like trying to figure it out at all. I think even on the first episode after that opening scene, I'm like, okay, whatever. Let's just watch the show. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like for our future seasons, I think that's something that they could probably drop, to be honest. Like, I don't think we need a murder every time. I'm not aware of the theories on this one. Mm-hmm. But on season one, I think if I were to try to figure it out, like throughout the season, the death was so random. They're like, yeah, I wouldn't figure it out. Like there's no clues really. And then even if there was, it would be not satisfying because it felt like, Oh, then it, you know, it was just like an accident or like someone died because of whatever. Yeah. Which might still be the case in this one. Like it might be entirely misdirection. Yeah. There seems to be a lot of sort of hints at one specific person dying. <laughs> I keep seeing the, what's her name? The blonde girl. I forget. Like um, Megan Fahey's? What's her name? Like the two couples, friends, the blonde wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know their names. I don't know anyone's names other than Aubrey Plaza. I remember the the actress is, is Megan Fahey. Um, right. I've seen that she dropped, like that character dropped, like, Daphne. oh man, I would kill for something, something. Or I would, Daphne, there you go. Like I would, she, she keeps mentioning like death or like, oh, did you know that someone's husband died because of this or whatever? Yeah. And they they also dropped the like, Cameron can sometimes get homicidal <laughs> when he gets angry. Right. Um, like there's a bunch of like little things sprinkled in. But yeah, I don't know. I think with this last episode, there were. Yeah, this last episode went places. Very big hints. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we can talk about it, but even this last episode is like, even though they're trying to make the whole, like the, these are some high end gays, <laughs> like, <laughs> like make it <laughs> like, oh, there's something off here. Actually, I haven't found anything like off about these people. Like, you know, there's really nothing much that I guess, you know, that would make me think, oh, these are like some devious people. No, they're just like, I don't know. <laughs> even the last thing, like, okay, clearly they're not his nephew, right? Yeah, clearly not. <laughs> So then it's fine. I don't know. I don't care. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, well, I think the clues seem to be in like how the show talks about these things. So like there's the conversation about like that sort of like old rich woman who was killed for like the the estate or whatever. Right, right. That island thing. Yeah. There's a thing uh, when the couples talk together and they talk about aristocrats that own these incredibly beautiful like mansions have no money and are actually like cash poor and then the the guy talks about like the the incredible amount of upkeep right uh costs to keep running the place there's also when he um the what's his name the like you said the high-end gay (laughs) i don't know (laughs) That's what, uh, that's what she called him. Yeah. These are some high-end gays. <laughs> um, so that guy, when he says, so he says that he fell in love with a straight guy. Cowboy. A straight yeah, cowboy. cowboy. Well, Jennifer Coolidge's husband is from that same place. Oh. And so there's a theory that he's the guy. <gasps> oh, <gasps> 
Oh. And then they talk about how he would still do anything for for that guy. And that there may be some sort of like arrangement to maybe do something to uh, Tanya to get get some of her money. Interesting. And also, if you look back to the tarot uh, card reader, if you translate the <laughs> what the person says in Italian, it talks about Tanya dying. <laughs> oh, okay. So there's there's like a lot of different. It can totally be misdirection. The show has misdirected us many many times. Like I remember last season where we had Greg who was like coughing nonstop, and you're like, oh my gosh, this guy's just totally gonna die. And I was like, nope, like that was not <laughs> what what the murder was about. I don't want Tanya to die. She's like the one constant in this show. I know. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that was a bit off to me was like this thing of like yeah, the estate guy and that his crew, his entourage like pulling Tanya in felt forced. Like, mm-hmm. It didn't feel natural like that would happen, but I don't know. I I'm not like a crazy rich <laughs> eccentric person, so I don't know if that's how they work. But it felt like there's got to be like some kind of second intentions or you know, some they they have a plan. I wasn't convinced that they just wanted to hang out with her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah, and then when, when he brings up the upkeep, I'm like, are they just trying to have her buy their estate, maybe? But Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, it'll be interesting. But I find that like every character, every storyline has a lot of really interesting things going on. Yeah. And the show is beautiful, dude. Uh, oh my God, so those shots. Yeah, it, you know that Mike White, he was on Survivor. Like that's how I know him. I do. Yeah, I do know that. They mentioned that. I heard people talk about that. And there's a bunch of Survivor cameos in it. So it's like for me, it's just perfect, perfect show. The thing that's incredible too is that like he writes all these episodes by himself. Like there's no writers' room or anything like that. It's just Mike White, wow. and he directs all of them. <laughs> like it's pretty incredible. Impressive. Yeah. And I find myself thinking. I mean, they've been renewed for a third season. Um, so that's great. Like I'm very happy about that. But I feel like they could just they can keep going. <laughs> like there's just so many. Like you know because they can go in all sorts of different directions with it. And I love this sort of idea like I, I find that this is a thing that's not executed either very well or very often where it's just like hey let's just get like really good storytelling and get explore sort of somewhat similar themes but in different directions ongoing basis like i find like a lot of shows are just repeating the same stuff over and over again yeah like if we had gotten the same all the same characters from last season in this season two i think you'd start to feel like okay like that's getting a bit much yeah but with this like get a new set of folks like every you know every two years i think that's a really awesome recipe and if the episodes continue to be as good as as they are i'm very happy with it and in my opinion like we shouldn't underestimate the importance of the set Mm -hmm. that it has on the show i think like not just for the beautiful vistas but like Italy, it's as a character as anyone else in here, yeah. it feels like. And that's just, it makes it feel like a whole different show, kind of. Not really, but kind of. Like, it, it doesn't feel like it's just more of the same from season one. Just a different set, different character. Everything together just makes it, it looks different. We, we've talked about it. So, yeah, keeps it fresh. Yeah, and the casting, the casting is just incredible. Like, that's another thing. I've been watching a lot of interviews with all of the, the actors. It's like, they are their characters, basically. Yeah, they're pretty chaotic. It's, but it's like, it's the same personality that the actor has. Aubrey Plaza is chaotic. It's like incredible. 
<laughs> she is her character. Yeah. It's like just watching the interviews, I was like, oh my goodness, this woman. <laughs> <It's just incredible. laughs> so yeah, I love it. I love everything about the show. I think it's just, it's just really great. <laughs> 